Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, your host, Michaela Thomas. Today, I have a fantastic guest who is another psychologist who's going to talk to me about maternal rage and intrusive thoughts. Now, this conversation was really helpful, but I'm aware that anyone who's listening can be triggered by this. So I want to issue a little trigger warning. If you have intrusive thoughts of harm coming to yourself or your baby or your child, be aware that this is really normal and common. It's so common. But if this is interfering with your functioning in any way, if it's causing you to feel a lot of distress, then do seek help. Caroline will mention some avenues of support that you can take in this episode. But know that you are not alone. It can be really powerful to talk to other parents about your intrusive thoughts. And today we're also going to dive deep into the super mum myth and why that's important for high striving mums. The whole reframe of the expectation of achievement that matrescence is something to surrender into to become more self-compassionate about your approach to motherhood. And if you don't, if you're always constantly exhausted and burnt out, maternal rage is more likely to happen and the shame cycle then that follows when you beat yourself up for having lost your shit. And as I said, unwanted intrusive thoughts, checking and reassurance seeking is also going to be covered today when we think about aspects like maternal OCD. So let's introduce my guest. Caroline Boyd is a registered clinical psychologist, writer and mother, with over 10 years experience working in the NHS and mental health settings. She specialises in supporting parents perinatally, which means from pregnancy to childbirth and all aspects of the transition to parenthood. Birthing a new identity as a mum can be demanding, as demanding as birthing a baby, whether it's your first or your fifth. We know that dads can really struggle too. Caroline offers a safe, non-judgmental space for you to make sense of changes to your multiple, intersecting identities, so you can honour and accept the kind of mum or dad that you want to be. And before we dive into the conversation, I want to say that I really thoroughly enjoyed reading Caroline's new book, Mindful New Mum. It is both beautiful and easy to read. And you know what? When you sit there with a new tiny baby, it's really difficult to flick through a big textbook, isn't it? So I found myself going through lots of different sections of this book very easily, even when I had baby napping on me or just held her in my arms, because there are such small sections that you can just read a snippet here and there. And I wish that everyone who's becoming a new mum would read this book. Let's dive in. So welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast, Caroline. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. And it's been a helpful reminder for me, obviously, having a five-month-old baby, my second child, to look through your fantastic, beautiful book. It's, it's been a real, real eye-opener of how hard it is in early days of motherhood. And I wish I would have read your book when little one was first born, because even though this is my second time around, these are really useful reminders. So I'm really excited to talk to you about your book and 
a few topics that come out of that book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So let's get started. I I also mentioned to you before we started recording that I'm writing on my second book at the moment. And one of the things I'm really interested in is the pressures on modern women. And obviously part of part of the work that you do around helping women is around motherhood. So let's just think a little bit about that together of one of the pressures um, that you talk about is of the pressure to achieve. So what happens for a woman who has been maybe high striving, you know, achieving a lot, having a busy career, who then becomes a mother? What happens then? Well, I think we can think about um, a lot of the messages uh, messages that we internalize and absorb from our culture and perhaps while we're growing up as well in our childhood about how we should be as little girls and then as women and I think you know so it starts from when we're we're really young and I think there are a lot of messages around girls and women um, needing to be good and kind and not make too much noise not to make too much of a fuss and not showing you know negative emotions I say negative in quotation marks for example like anger or anxiety that's just not expected of or wanted of of little girls so we learn these messages as we're growing up I think there's a lot of gendered expectations and then I think when we become mothers if we become mothers that's really reinforced by what I call the super mum myth Um, sometimes it's called the the perfect mother myth and this is really the idea that we as mothers are expected to be calm and coping and in control at all times Um, we're expected to be you know, endlessly patient. Supermom is a fantasy, but it puts a lot of pressure on women to be perfect in their mothering and to be enjoying every minute and really to to not struggle, I think. So I think that is a very, it's a really powerful myth. I think, you know, where does it come from? Well, in many ways, I think it comes from The fact that as women, we're fed a diet of all the good bits, all the cherry picked, you know, the cherry picked version of motherhood. And we we absorb these messages from the fairy tales that we're read as children to the images that we're surrounded by. So I'm thinking about the Madonna and child images on church windows and in paintings to the celebrities who are, you know, on our Instagram feed, showcasing their beach-ready bodies just weeks after childbirth, pictured with their ever-smiling babies. So these positive images, I think, surround us from a really early age and and really feed into our idea of the good mum. And I think that the problem with this is that it creates an idea of, or rather it sets a standard for what is a good mother, and therefore a good woman and what is a bad one and this is really it's really powerful and i think you know we know that this that the myth of supermom has been shown to really ex- really shape women's expectations of motherhood but the problem with this idea is it it creates the idea that there's only one way to feel as a mom as in to feel joyful or calm or coping and that's really difficult because 
we both know as mothers and as women who work with mothers that there's a whole spectrum of emotions that show up in motherhood. Mm. And you talk about that, that, how they sometimes are in conflict or almost opposite ends of the spectrum. Can you mention a little bit about that? What kind of things show up for, for new mothers that are opposite sides of the spectrum emotionally? Oh, well, I think in becoming mothers, you know, whether it's the first or, you know, in your case, the second time I was speaking with Clover Stroud recently, you know, she's got five children and, and she was saying, and I find it really difficult sometimes. And she has all sorts, you know, she talks, she writes really powerfully about (laughs) the intense emotions that come up for her as a mum. So I think it's about understanding that as human beings, we have a very rich range of emotions, you know, and and so as mothers and in becoming a mother, there's a whole kaleidoscope of emotions that we can feel. So I, you know, my book is called The Mind-Body Approach to Navigating the Highs and Lows of Motherhood. And this is because there can be, it can be very up and down when you're navigating that transition and so it can be intense highs you know i think there's a lot of wonder and there's those magical moments when you become a mum and you can feel very content and you can feel very happy and and at the same time and this can happen you know in the same day or in the same hour you can feel you know that you're grieving over losses from your pre-baby life you can feel full of self-doubt, you can feel very frightened or afraid, even just about adjusting to this responsibility of caring for this tiny baby. And a lot of mums, I think, talk about the loneliness that they can feel. I think that mothering is something that happens, you know, it's quite, it happens privately. And I think that's really been increased in the pandemic. And actually, there was a study recently that UCL carried out on mums in London, which showed that nearly that rates of postpartum depression have increased to almost one in two. And that is partly due to the isolation that mums were experiencing in the in the lockdown. And and I think very sadly, the case is for modern mums that they are very isolated Our society has become very fragmented, people move around and they don't have those networks necessarily um, or their own families, their wider families close at hand who can give them a hand, who can help them feel, you know, assured and and less lonely, I think. Mm, Especially in a Western society where there is that pressure that we are capable and can be everything for a baby or for a partner for that sense mm-hmm. without external support it's almost like independence is is hailed as the holy grail and we know that a mother is is you know born and learning on the job as you say in your book that we do need that support and wisdom from other people around us especially other mothers and uh, you know I, I had my best friend from sweden stay with me last week and it was just so seamless to have another mother there for four days where, you know, you pass the children around, you take turns doing things and you have company. Mm. You know, in your book, you talk about the value of that, you know, that creating that circle of support, having that connection with other women to support you. And it's 
we're missing a trick there when we don't have this tribe around us anymore. And I know this is talked about a lot, but it's so important to say it again, that it's not your fault if you find yourself feeling lonely and isolated, especially due to the pandemic and maybe cancellations of baby groups or um, not being able to go into each other's homes. Hopefully that's opening up more now, but it's not your fault if you feel that I can't do this on my own because you're not supposed to do this on your own. Mm, it's a very abnormal context and and absolutely it's not women's fault and I think the you know the pressures of having to be perfect and feeling so isolated you know those those two pressures really do ramp up difficulties for modern women and then of course the judgment becomes very much internalized as in it's it's something to do with me and if I do feel emotions that don't fit the joyful norm if I do feel angry or anxious or sad which of course we all do um in the in our lived reality but women end up feeling like there's something wrong with them or that it means something bad about them it means that they're a bad mum or they're failing so I think so I think it is important to um, and that's why I wanted to do that in my book, to to draw on, I guess, non-Western, you know, some of the Eastern cultural practices that do honour a woman's need to recover physically and emotionally after such a big event as having a baby. In many Eastern cultures, they have a a, a lying-in period or a period of time where the mother will be allowed to heal and there'll be others around perhaps female elders or relatives who will take on some of the the hands-on tasks like perhaps with feeding the baby helping feeding the baby and cooking and cleaning and so on and I think it's acknowledging that of course (laughs) those practices and those ways of doing things will have their difficulty too and and have their constraints but I think it is important to borrow from those practices where actually the emphasis is on the mother's restoration and and recovery and that is also something that's missing and I guess as part of the the perfect mother myth this idea that we need to bounce back to our you know our pre-baby body um effortlessly and and without support mm, absolutely because it doesn't give that permission for recovery and rest does it it mm. It still feeds the myth around productivity that, you know, if I haven't done anything today, I haven't achieved anything today, I don't feel worthwhile. And I had a conversation with with a mum friend about that, of how how boring it can feel when you were kind of coming in from a high powered job and then suddenly like, what have I done all day? Mm. Uh, and I think that's something you also pick up in the in the book that actually some of these achievements quote-unquote are really hard to measure so how do we give ourselves sense of worth and achievement when we think well I'm not doing those things I used to do in my job and now just been with the baby all day and that there's a lot of self-deprecating in that can you comment a bit on on how that shows up for for the women you support Mm, I should say it is it is it is a theme in my clinical work and it is a um, it does require adjusting to a different tempo Um, and I think that you know going back to some of the societal messages you know like you say about privileging productivity and busyness and achievement and success 
all of which we internalize and and so yeah maybe you become a mum and you've actually created a career for yourself and and work is an important part of your identity and it's also true that in a work role those I guess your achievement can be more easily quantified can't it because you, you might have an appraisal and there are promotions and there's you know it's paid and um and for mothers it's very it's very sort of I think it can be hard just to name carrying out all those repetitive tasks in the fourth trimester you know it can feel very it can feel like a huge change I think and I guess what I'm encourage some of the mums that I work with it's it's about bringing awareness to some of those old patterns and habits you know around striving for that success and that achievement and that external validation and in adjusting to the the slower tempo understanding that you can't apply the same rules if you like to being a mum because being a mum it doesn't you know it it doesn't work like that it's very um it's very hard to quantify and it's um you know there's a there's a your baby in the mix so another human being so it's very much around your relationship and i think that perhaps a big part of it is to understand and this is why i talk about matrescence in my book but understanding the the transition in terms of matrescence i find really helpful because it allows the complexity of feelings that come with that so it allows and names those conflicts where a mum might love becoming a mum and love her you know her new identity as a mum yet feel really trapped at home or a mother might feel you know if you're listening and you've recently become a, a mum you might feel powerfully in love with your baby yet hate some of the domestic tasks of motherhood you know and that's that's okay um you might also grieve aspects of your pre-baby life so i think it's just understanding that those conflicting feelings will bring a level of discomfort in themselves because they're conflicting plus they don't fit the joyful norm and so it's it's trying to honor some of the complexity that comes with being a mum and allowing ourselves some of those some of the the richness and the range of those emotions and understanding that it's okay but it it does it can feel like a whole new learning i think when you're not perhaps you, you know you're the doing that you have been used to doing as a way of distraction perhaps through your work you can't necessarily distract yourself um in that way and you and you, you can't stop some of those intense feelings from sort of spilling out it's it's not as so neat and tidy as perhaps it might have been before so it requires a whole new learning a whole new reevaluation of what life is and how you want to be in the world how you want to be a woman and a mother um and i think that's the that's also what matrescence honors is that is that reevaluation and that personal growth 
that radical personal growth which comes with it but can it can feel very destabilizing through that process it's very turbulent for sure i mean if you think about all the emotions you just named there and and being able to i guess surrender into that slower pace especially the fourth trimester where we cocoon you use sort of the creating a cocoon or calm and creating a kind of a a nurturing space for you and baby that it's not just about you giving to baby it's also giving to yourself uh, and I think that's a very powerful thing that comes out of your book that self-care and self-compassion there isn't just so that you can be giving to your baby but it's also because you matter too you know you are still um, you are still an individual and a human being who has needs and they they are you know deserving to be met mm. so some of the things that I see when I obviously work with uh, perfectionism is that often I can get women coming at a, at a point where they've, you know, a couple of years or even longer after the first baby, sometimes they, when they have two babies, because they don't make those adjustments. They don't change the expectations, lower the standard, and then they, they suffer burnout. So trying to juggle the same amount of plates as they were before. So they're really difficult. And I guess one of the things that can come out then is a very strong, powerful sense of rage. And I know you talk a lot about maternal rage, uh, the, the level of shame and guilt that comes around that. Can we talk a little bit about maternal rage? I know that this is a difficult topic for anyone listening who might be triggered, but it's a very, very important one to be more open and honest about. So can we speak a bit about maternal rage? Mm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's an emotion. Well, we, th- we think about anger. That's a very human, defensive emotion. We all feel it, and we can think about anger. You know, when it's showing up, it often masks other emotions. So it might, it might actually be masking fear or grief or loneliness. And I think for a new mother, it can feel very scary and very affronting partly because it just doesn't fit ideas of what it means or what we think it means to be a good mum. So it comes with that really heavy guilt and shame, like you say. And this is where, I mean, I draw on, as you know, I draw on the model of um, compassion-focused therapy in my book, as you do in your book. And actually, self-compassion, like you say, is about understanding that as individuals, we do, we have needs. And I guess mindful compassion is about learning to turn towards and tolerate strong, difficult feelings such as anger with kindness and without judgment, rather than criticism or self-blame. And that, again, you know, it takes time and practice, but it's it's about getting to know our rich internal emotional world and finding ways so I have lots of practical meditations and visualizations and affirmations in my book you know understanding that new moms are tired and short on time but these these all are all practical ways to track your feelings so that in any given moment you know if you're feeling like at your at your limit you're at capacity you've had a long day containing your baby Perhaps you're struggling with being at home all day, you know, and perhaps struggling with this shift in tempo. Um, You might also be physically in pain, you know, depending on 
the kind of birth that you had and the level of healing that needs to happen. So I think it's about in any given moment, trying to sort of turn inwards and, and be curious about what's coming up, what feelings are there, and finding ways in the moment where you can to turn towards those feelings and to be curious about them and then think what what are the unmet needs you know feelings are a, they have a function don't they? they they give us important messages and so what are my what are my needs here what do i what do i need to do where i can respond to these needs with compassion and i think the going back to anger a lot of the process around the just feeling anger for mothers is that it's so stigmatized it's so forbidden really doesn't fit our ideas of super mom the good mom the perfect mother and so when we feel it when it does come up which it may do for some women and this may link back to childhood experiences you know perhaps if anger was modeled to us in ways that were unpredictable or scary or anger was shamed in some way um, and again, sort of not not allowed in a family. So we learn to suppress it and perhaps learn to kind of shove it down. And what this means is that it it's left simmering beneath the surface. And we know about anger, it's an emotion where anger builds on anger. So it shows up through a series of provocations. And that might be, you know, when you're your baby's out of sorts that day for reasons you can't fathom you struggle to settle them and you know you're left with feelings of perhaps of that you're failing in some way perhaps you haven't eaten enough that day perhaps you're really thirsty so you know I'm talking about your basic needs not being met and so you will be at capacity your head will feel really full and then anger comes along you know understandably when you know on the fourth or fifth provocation and then it all comes out as rage and then what happens is we judge ourselves so the judgment comes in and i think that's that really fuels the fire of that emotion and it really intensifies it so it's about trying to find ways to make space for that anger um and to you know understand that it's a it's an important sign, it's telling you something, and then responding with compassion. So that might mean, even if your baby's crying, you have that sandwich, because you're going to need the energy to comfort them. Or it might mean giving yourself permission to have a nap. And if you can, you know, handing your baby over to a partner or to a trusted friend, so you can have a sleep. So I hope that's that's a bit of a, I know this is part of a bigger conversation. There's lots to say on anger and rage. Um, but I hope that is kind of, that makes sense. Yeah, it, re it really does make sense. And, and that sense of allowing yourself permission to look after your own unmet needs before you tend to the baby. I think there's a huge stigma around that and the sort of element of self-sacrifice as a mother mm -hmm. that I mustn't do that because baby is hungry. And it's, I think, some of the things that we can shift and change our habits with very slowly. I often talk about small shifts. So mm -hmm. for perfectionistic people listening, it can be really hard to think I'm going to take the time to cook myself a nourishing meal. 
but could you take one sip of water before you sit down to feed your baby? You know, it might be that you have a water bottle around and you just take, okay, I'm going to feed you. I'm just going to take two sips of water uh, and then start to increase that. So building on those small shifts and little habits can make it easier to to drop into this um, because difficult thoughts and feelings are going to show up when you start to look after yourself. If you're not used to a self-compassionate way of treating yourself, mm. it's going to feel like a foreign language. It's going to feel alienating and difficult um, for anyone sort of listening and, and wants to try some of this at home, so to speak. Do try this at home, uh, unlike other approaches. Even as you said, I like, have a nap. I was stifling a yawn because I could do it one Um <laughs> I think that's it's so hard and knowing that we, we're in that with with the women who are listening. We are in it with you. We are mothers as well. And just because we're educated psychologists doesn't mean that we're in any way sort of immune to the pressures of motherhood. So mm-hmm. before we bring sort of your your kind of discussions to an end and think a little bit more about pause, purpose and play, I wonder if we can just say something briefly about what happens for women who who they can't sort of um feel like they're managing their emotions where they feel that they're really overwhelmed by their emotions Uh, i wonder if we can direct them to some more support around say anxiety worry or intrusive thoughts that come up for them because i know it's one of your special areas of work yeah um i think it's good to bring in to bring in other sources of support i mean in terms of of anxious unwanted intrusive thoughts around the baby I guess just shall I just give some examples if anyone's listening but you know there are broadly two categories um and this is so this is something that I did my doctoral research in and I interviewed eight women who were new and recent mothers and they'd experienced scary intrusive thoughts about their baby and they, they weren't being treated for postpartum depression or any psychological condition at the time and these thoughts are understood to be you know part and parcel of new motherhood but they're really taboo so they're very little talked about. But examples of these, so I've talked about the two categories. One is unwanted intrusive thoughts of accidental harm. So examples of those might be a word sort of, you know, my baby isn't safe, or a vivid image of your baby falling off the changing mat, or dropping your baby um, that just come pops up seemingly out of nowhere. And and then the other category are known as unwanted thoughts or images or urges of intentional harm so examples might be having an urge an unwanted urge to scream at your baby or to throw or to to shake your baby Um, and they've been found the thoughts of intentional harm have been found to be reported by one in two women so that's that's a lot (laughs) and it's likely to be an underestimation because of the worries about sharing these kinds of thoughts and then the thoughts of accidental harm are experienced by nearly every single mom. So they're pretty much universal. But if any of this is resonating with you listening today, I would say that I've got a whole section on my website. So please um, do have a look there just for some more information around these kinds of thoughts and understanding them. I also talk about them in my book because I think it's really important that we name them to encourage women to, you know, talk to a mum friend you know if you can to try to be brave I guess and talk to someone about about your thoughts and because they're so common the likelihood is is that that person will reflect back at you you know not exactly the same experience but likely will have had similar experiences to help you feel validated 
I think if you're if you're feeling like you're really struggling with your intrusive thoughts or your anger and you feel that your anxiety or your anger is, is getting in the way of everyday life with your baby then I would really encourage you to you know talk to a loved one talk to someone who you find empathetic as a first step and talk to a, a trusted health professional it is worth I mean Michaela I will say it's worth saying that responses from health professionals can be variable mm -hmm. so if you you know I do hear of people not getting an ideal response say from their GP so you know if that is the case please do try a different GP you know if you've got a good relationship with your midwife your health visitor please do talk to them and I also have actually put a document on my website which is a short leaflet about unwanted intrusive thoughts but it's just I have some tips for having you know going to speak to your GP around intrusive thoughts and I also include in the book you know the importance of advocating for yourself say at your six to eight week check so I think speaking to someone is is really important um, if you're struggling with these kinds of thoughts and I guess just to say about unwanted intrusive thoughts these kind of thoughts tend to come with you know really intense emotions like shame or horror or guilt and the very fact that a mum has those kind of feelings is a strong sign that she's not going to hurt the baby. And research shows that, you know, that there's there's not a link between having those kinds of thoughts and wanting and, and actually acting on them. Hmm. I, I will say that context is important. So if you have an overwhelming intention or desire to hurt yourself or your baby, then you need to seek help immediately by calling 999 or visiting A&E. Mm -hmm. It's a really important distinction there because it can be really hard for, for GPs obviously aren't specialized as their general practitioners. They don't know everything about everything. And it can be really hard there to, to understand yourself that just because that thought shows up in your mind that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the baby off the balcony or, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hurt the baby or touch, touch the baby inappropriately. It, all of these really horrifying thoughts that show up, the fact that they are married to that emotion. You know, often in psychology, we talk about ego dystonic. It doesn't fit with your idea of the world and your values. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you would do that to your baby is horrifying. That is a really good clue. And a lot of health professionals don't necessarily know that, that that's a good clue to that. That's the last thing that you would want to do. As sometimes we we say, um, you know, as a, as a guide, a sort of a bad mother doesn't care about being a bad mother, if you see what I mean. Um, whereas you as a listener here, if you are having any of these thoughts popping in unwantedly, mm -hmm. unexpectedly, and you feel horrified, then that is the last thing you want to do. So I know that this is a really triggering subject. So we'll put some some links in the show notes of places where you can turn to for compassionate support. Because like you say in your book, Caroline, that circle of support is so key and that that compassionate response is an antidote to the shame that shows up and just mm. knowing when you speak to a, a mum friend you trust and you say oh I feel so angry sometimes I want to I just lose my shit and they go yes me too you know something really connecting in that vulnerability so if this is something that shows up for you it doesn't have to be strong elements of maternal rage or even unwanted intrusive thoughts but anything to do with motherhood I'm willing to bet that if you shared it to a mum friend, they've experienced some element of that too. There's so many feelings that are universally shared when it comes to 
how difficult motherhood is. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it's about understanding our shared humanity, isn't it? That mm. once we understand that that we are, um, as human beings, we have vulnerability and we're not the only ones that feel it. I think it can feel incredibly validating and um, and help, yeah, I guess help people develop that kind of relationship with themselves rather yeah. than creating themselves. That's really helpful. And on the topic of vulnerability, as we draw the conversation to a close, I'm going to put you on the spot with the pause purpose play question. So you have written a book called Mindful New Mum. So you share mindfulness and compassion strategies and a very holistic mind-body approach around motherhood. What about you, Caroline? I mean, you've just written this fantastic book. You know, you achieved a lot of things. You've got, you know, you've done doctoral research. How do you find a mindful moment or pausing or switching off or taking a break? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, I think that it's, it's up and down, you know, it's, it's, I'm a mum of two and, you know, life is busy. Um, we've just come out of a, well, we're coming out of a pandemic. We're still feeling the effects of it. We don't know what the future is going to hold. I think we are living in a, a very troubled time. Um, I don't know whether it's worth acknowledging that we're speaking in the week that Ukraine has come under attack by Russia. Mm. It's a really, um, it's, we're living in uncertain times. And for me, I think it's, you know, it's, um, it's up and down. I think that it depends on what's going on with my children. You know, it's, it's, it's not just about me. It's about what, um, what might be causing them stress or worry. And that always will impact on my capacity. And I think for me, and I talk about this in the book, actually, I try to bookend my day with short bursts of meditation. So I sort of understand that as busy mums, well, certainly for myself, I'll say it's really hard to build in time to move into being mode. You know, we, we spend so much of our day in doing mode and and some of our day in threat mode if we're thinking about you know this is the three circles of emotion from compassion focused work and so it's about trying to connect to safety when we can so building in you know it might only be 10 minutes for me to to do a meditation a guided meditation on my phone um, or a visualization and i'm trying to bookend the day with that and i do notice that when i'm on days I'm not able to do that, I I do, you know, I feel a bit less centred. So for me, I guess it's it's not that I'm doing mindfulness or living mindfully in a perfect way at all. But I think what I have got more skilled in is noticing when, you know, what where is my capacity at, you know, thinking about how full my head is, and then following up with and what do I need so I hope that makes sense mm, it really does and I guess the, the best exercise if we think of meditation as something we're exercising and practicing is the one you actually show up for and, and do so if we have the best of intentions lofty ideals around an hour of seated meditation that is that's just not possible for most mothers if that is you and you've earmarked time and find that pocket great mm. because research shows that there's a lot of benefits for you but most of us, it might be, you know, 
two minutes of finding your breath. And you obviously have a great way of describing soothing breathing rhythm in your book as well. So to make it easy, because if it's easy, we're more likely to do it. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that way of, you know, linking your capacity with book ending your day. And what about purpose then? Because when we are more within our capacity, it's easier to show up in our purpose and do what we're passionate about. How do you feel that you've kind of sat with purpose in your life? That's a very good question. I think for me, it connects. Yeah, it very much connects to values and and feeling connected to our values. I think it's about connections for me. It's about, you know, whether you're feeling connected to your partner or your children and ultimately to yourself. Um, and I think the question about purpose is connecting to values. And, you know, I guess for me, I, it's understanding that values, personal values around, around community and family and love and compassion, and also around, you know, in my work life, bringing in creativity where I can, in my clinical work, um, creativity and also curiosity. So I guess that feeds into my purpose. Um, mm. Yeah, and I think having... I came to clinical psychology training a bit later, um, having had a career before that. And, you know, it was, it, it took me about 10 years to, to train as a clinical psychologist, because I then, you know, I had two children during my training. So it's really important to, I mean, I guess I did feel really connected to my purpose. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I, but I think just question, continuing to question am I living out my values so for me my, one of my values is actually being outside mm. and and it's also feeling connected to my body so that means that I you know we have a dog so I go um, on dog walks a lot and I do yoga to bring myself into my body so I think it's just trying to feel connected to your values in different areas of your life and you bring that into the book as well, talking about green therapy of getting into nature and, and you have plenty of beautiful yoga illustrations that are easy to get into. It doesn't have to be complicated. So lastly, thinking about actually when we're living a life that's a bit more aligned with our values, which we can mainly do if we are better, you know, have better capacity, then there is some space for joy and playfulness. Not in the must always feel joyous in a way that that Superman myth dictates, but mm -hmm. there is some pocket here and there where we might feel, you know, a sense of fun and relaxation and uh, playfulness. So what is playful and fun for you? Oh, yeah, I'm all about the small joys. Um, I think they're so important. I think for me, it's, it is feeling present, <laughs> so connected to the present moment, um, which is so difficult for all of us because we're often so, you know, we might be ruminating on the past or worrying about tomorrow or the next day. So it's actually, you know, it is a choice that we have to continually, you know, come back to. But I think for me, it's, you know, having snuggles with my kids and I, I find that grounding feeling connected to them not all the time because obviously that's that's um not realistic having a cup of tea savoring a cup of tea being outside in nature with my puppy um 
doing yoga with my you know the, every Saturday morning I have a sacred space and it's and I just I do my yoga for an hour and 15 minutes in a class mm. so yeah it's it's definitely about small joys oh and music how can I not mention music amazing I like that sacred space though because that's you putting boundaries in protecting it making sure it happens um, because it's important to you so and on the topic of sacred space and protecting your time we need to bring things to a close so the final message to give the listeners i ask for a takeaway you know a, a permission to give them or a pressure to take off them what would that be i think giving yourself permission to to look after yourself and i think this can feel really hard and challenging and it actually requires unlearning old beliefs around you know self-care being self-indulgent or selfish or maybe even lazy but I think it's incredibly important. It's essential for mothers. Um, we often come at the bottom of the pile. So I think permission and encouragement to learn to prioritize your own needs. And, you know, in doing so, it gives you more head and heart space to be the mum that you that you want to be. Amazing. And that's connecting back to your values again, you know, the mother that you want to be. So thank you for bringing it full circle and sharing all this wisdom with us. So I hope it's been helpful to anyone listening. And although we, we keep using the word new mum, mindful new mum, a lot of the stuff from Caroline's book is still applicable, even if you had your kids 10 years ago, because once postnatal, always postnatal. So it's not too late, even if you, you know, the fourth trimester feels like a blurry memory from the past then do check out Caroline's book and I'll put the, uh, the, all the links that we discussed in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, thanks, Michaela. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation between me and Caroline. Knowing that the idea of being a mindful new mum is not about being perfect, but doing it all and achieving everything. If you put a lot of pressure on yourself to be perfect, please keep in mind that I work with high-striving women like yourself who struggle with that juggle between motherhood and work or wondering how on earth you kind of make your career still matter now that you have a tiny new baby to look after. Or maybe your children are actually bigger now, but you're still feeling really burnt out trying to do it all and be it all for your family, but not really for yourself. So do get in touch with me if you want to join the waiting list for my group coaching program for high-striving, ambitious women who need to find balance over burnout so that you can burn right and not burn out. Go to thethomasconnection.co.uk and drop me a message if you're interested in joining this group coaching program and I look forward to hearing from you. And as always, do take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is 
actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.